Welcome to the Bigger Cashflow Podcast, where we interview business owners and real estate investors that share tips and tricks on how to grow your cash flow and reach financial freedom. What's up, you guys? Welcome to another exciting episode of the Bigger Cashflow Podcast. Today, we have Kirk on the show. Kirk is the founder and CEO of Option Alpha, an options trader, entrepreneur, and angel investor. Option Alpha, an Inc. 500 company, is an online education and coaching platform for investors interested in learning more about the financial markets and derivative options. Kirk is also the host of the Option Alpha podcast, where he educates and helps investors make smarter and more profitable trades. With that said, let's welcome Kirk to the show. How's it going, man? Good, man. It's good to connect with you. Yeah, excited to have you on the show. A lot of my listeners might be wondering, hey, this is new. We typically focus on just you know, small businesses or real estate. We have a lot of real estate investors on the show. Well, I'm really excited to have Kirk on the show because, you know, stock options and trading, that's always been in the back of my mind, something that I wanted to learn and get to know a little bit more. But I feel like without the knowledge, there is a lot of fear, at least for myself and some of the listeners that I have conversed with as well. So before we get into the good stuff, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about your background, you know, your journey, how you got started and what led you to options trading? Yeah, I think if you're a real estate investor, you'll. I, I hope you'll enjoy today's conversation because I'm also a real estate investor and, and I was a read analyst for a while. But the long story short is um, I've always been interested in finance. My parents, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, were in the same business their entire lives. And that was the mortgage business. And so it was either really good or it was really bad. And so I just remember as a kid, we either had really good years or we had really bad years because my parents were hyper-focused in the same industry, right? And so um, so from a young age, we used to go to open houses, I would jokingly say, but it actually wasn't a joke. We would seriously do this. We would go to open houses when we were on vacation with my family. My parents would take me to open houses when we would go to a new place. So, you know, we go to the beach and we would just go to open houses. That's what we used to do. So, so I was very much involved and I, I love the fact that they ingrained you know, kind of finance and math, just naturally part of the conversation always as a kid. Uh, end up going to school at the University of Virginia after playing a little bit of football in a D2 school uh, for a little bit, and then decided I wanted to go to New York and uh, try the investment banking route. Seemed like everyone was doing it. Uh, literally, it felt like my entire class that I graduated with at UVA when, went to New York in some way, shape, or form. I, uh, I enjoyed the investment banking side, but realized that I truly hated what the job was going to be. It was, you know, terrible hours. You know, my mother used to call and she's like, what's the weather in New York? And I'm like, mom, it's 70 and fluorescent because I'm just inside the office all the time. Um, so I left there. I decided I want to go on the other side of the, the Chinese wall and, and do the, uh, the public side. So I was on the private side for a little bit, which was interesting. Jumped over, did the public side as a REIT analyst. So uh, that's where I, again, just like kind of rekindled a love for real estate slash stocks and investing and value investing and, you know, valuing companies. Um, really like the read business, but again, it's very subjective. Even if you had a good idea of where a company was going to be and reads are incredibly easy, you know, for the most part to value compared to other companies. And 
you still didn't even know where the stock was going to be. So that kind of led me down a different path of trying to understand how to trade and, and, you know, do something outside of the traditional norm. And um, so in one way, shape or form, I got into options trading. Uh, I figured out in a lot of different ways I couldn't day trade. I wasn't good at chart patterns. I wasn't good at recognizing trends or doing technicals. And so uh, options trading for me was very easy because it was mathematically focused. It was very much a math based thing. Uh, which is why I still like real estate as well. Real estate to me is very much a math-based approach to investing. So um, yeah, fast forward 10 plus years, been running Option Alpha for a long time, started as a small blog. Now we're a software company with auto trading. That is awesome. Well, let's unpack that a little bit. So, you know, you, you've been, it, you, the investment banking, you did that for a while and then you went into the REIT. So when did you officially leave and what was that transition like for you? So did you kind of have a crossover where you did the blog for a couple of years and then made enough money where you just went on your own or did you just say, Hey, burn the ships. I'm going <laughs> to do this full time. Yeah. Well, I think it was a little bit of both in the sense that you, you have to do like a little bit of a straddle, right. To transition out of something, right. Like I'm never a fan of, I'm way too conservative to, to do, anything but, you know, uh, a straddle type deployment of transitioning to something else, right? So even if I was leaving some job, I wouldn't completely leave and just burn the ships. I would try to straddle it, you know, start to do something on the side or whatever. Um, so when I was doing investment banking and left in 2007, right before everything got crazy, thankfully, um, I was doing REITs in 2008, which when things were really crazy and things were moving pretty fast. Um, but at that time, I was already writing on the blog. I started the blog in 2008 because I just wanted to write. I just wanted to write my feelings and my thoughts and what I was, you know, kind of experiencing the whole journey. Um, and it really wasn't for quite some time that it actually started to, you know, develop money and get a following. And it really took many years because I didn't do any advertising or paid media or none of that. Um, on the trading side, it was very much a, a decision that be, both me and my wife made where she was a teacher, so she could support what we were doing. We didn't have kids. We lived well below our means. I've never had a car loan. Like I don't believe in debt, never had credit card debt, right? So we lived well below our means so that we could make a go with this and uh, and try to make a, you know, a good run at it. And and it was tough. I mean, it, for sure, like the first couple of weeks, like I lost a lot of money and she was like, hey, if this is what you think that you're going to be doing for the rest of our life, you know, you better check yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right? So um so, uh, so that was the transition. It, it wasn't a, it was not a burn the ships type of thing. It was very much a, a, a planned, uh, you know, strategic thing that we tried to go after. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So let's talk about options trading. So you briefly mentioned in your introduction, you kind of looked at the alternative methods, right? In real estate for a lot of my listeners, it could be wholesaling, flipping, you know, seller financing, and then you have the different asset classes like single family, yep. multifamily and self-storage, all that good stuff. So I guess to keep it focused on, on this conversation, why did you choose options or actually taking a step back? What is it? So explain it to like us, we're a fifth grader. What, what are options and why did you end up choosing it? So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I think options work, you know, for people and we can get into that for sure. And by the way, we can take the conversation wherever you want to go. Um, as a real estate investor, and I, let, let me try to relate this as much as I can to real estate investor real estate investors and practically everybody uses option contracts. They're just called different things all the time. They're called coupons. They're called insurance. Uh, a lot of people who, who uh, invest in real estate, they'll use option contracts to uh, have an option to buy, a to buy a house and then sell that or assign that contract to somebody else in a wholesaling deal, right? So that 
transaction in and of itself where you're selling the physical contract of the house that you still have not even bought and you're trying to capture a higher profit and wholesale the deal to somebody else, that's basically an option trade. I mean, like that's essentially all the same ingredients as an options trade for the most part. So option contracts are nothing more than just a leveraged contract on top of uh, stock or ETF or index or commodity position. And we call it an option contract because there are two classifications, calls or puts, and they basically give you the choice, the option to convert those contracts and exercise them into the physical shares that you're trading. So stock, Amazon, Tesla, SPY, whatever, you can, con you can physically convert that into the underlying shares. And the two choices allow that conversion to either be a buy of the shares or a sell of the shares outright. So you start to now group these option contracts together and they can create pretty elaborate strategies and different techniques. But again, it's very much the same thing that people use all the time. And we can go through like an insurance example because every single real estate investor has a put option. They just don't even know that it's called an insurance contract. Gotcha. And with this option, I guess my, my curiosity is, is this something that investors can do whether the stock is going up or down uh, different kind of cycles of the stock market? Yeah, so the, the cool thing about option contracts to me personally is that it's not just that they are a leverage product, which leverage is like, it's like medicine, right? Like a little bit of medicine can help, a lot can kill you, right? Same thing in real estate, like a little bit of leverage in real estate can always help, too much can kill you. So options are leveraged, which is cool because they allow you to do very unique things and potentially grow capital at a faster pace than you otherwise could with just regular stock. But what's really interesting is the combination of different strategies. So unlike a lot of different investment vehicles that require so much capital to get started and you know, kind of have this clunky, you know, outdated process of you know, just monthly distributions or quarterly distributions or turnovers are really hard, uh, you know, acquisitions and dispositions are really hard. Options have the ability to combine payoff strategies into different unique ways of profiting from the market movement. And it could be simple from as simple as the market's just going to go higher or the market's going to go lower or the market could go higher, but it will stay above this price point or the market is going to stay between this range and this range, right? And you can build a payoff diagram and a strategy that profits from the stock or the market that you're looking at staying in a defined range or in a range that you, you know, think that it's going to stay in. So it's really cool because you basically have any assumption that you want. You think the stock is going to move or not or go up or down or not. And you can craft a strategy that takes advantage of that particular environment. And nowhere else in finance can you really do that. I love that. I love the word strategy because you alluded to it earlier with real estate. The reason why I like it so much is because I can understand it. Um, I can analyze it, underwrite it to certain criteria. Hey, I want a C-class rental property in this neighborhood and it needs to cash on cash for this percentage after all debt service and reserves or whatnot. Yeah. Right. right. So you mentioned that it is mathematical to me because I don't understand it. Um, risk is a big concern, right? So if there are other listeners listening to this episode, um, is it more risky than your typical mutual fund? Or if I were to just buy a stock of Tesla or whatnot, what, what is risk? Is it even comparable? Is it just different? Yeah. So, you know, risk is interesting because let me try to equate this to real estate as much as I can. 
if you're a real estate investor and you look at a piece of property and you've been a real estate investor for a long time, you look at that property and you naturally make calculations in your mind that other people wouldn't naturally do, right? So you look at a property that's distressed or needs some work and you go, wow, this is a great deal for whatever reason, right? Because you know the associated risks in it. Not that the property is an easy deal by any stretch. It might need a lot of work. It might need to be renovated. Like, and I know I've flipped out my, me and my wife are flipping a house right now. Like, well, I get it. So, but we look at a deal as a real estate investor, like you would through a different lens. Right. And so I look at a deal that's distressed and really cheap and needs a lot of work. And I'm like, that's a deal that is not that risky. Right. Because the baseline is so low versus somebody else might look at that and be like, Oh my God, so risky that you would get into that deal. Right. In options trading, I think it's the same way. So what you hear a lot of people talk about is you hear how risky options are. And in every regard, they are risky because they're leveraged if you use the leverage wrong, right? Like leverage can kill if you use it wrong. So are option contracts risky? Yes. Is debt to buy real estate to flip a house, is that risky? Yes. But if you use it right, and if you're conservative with it, then it's a great instrument that you can you know, leverage and build capital on top of. So I think that options far and away are way less risky than regular stock, regular indexes, regular ETFs. I would, given the choice, I would always rather have an option strategy that replicates a stock because you can do that pretty easily as opposed to the actual physical shares of the stock. So let me give you an example. The Nokia, uh, Nokia, not Nokia, Nokolo or whatever it is, the uh, electric truck company, right? that was trading that has all this like fraud stuff that's going on with it, right? Like instantly it just goes down in value because of all the stuff that happened to it, right? As an electric truck company and whatever they were doing to manipulate, you know, their value, their company. But if you had an option contract, you could have capped that risk, right? So you could have participated in most of the upside with capped downside risk versus the shareholders of the stock are now just completely out of it, right? Like they just they have nothing left over, right? Or they've lost the majority of their money. So it's that type of, of, trade-off that I think people should be more cognizant of, which is why we give away a lot of our education for free, which is why I care about this so much, because I think people should have that choice, that option, no pun intended, to choose how they invest their money. And stock is not the only way. Just like buying and holding a house is not the only way you can make money in real estate. You can do a million other things besides that. Why should we all just be buy and hold investors of everything? Got it. No, I love what you just said about you know having almost like guardrails, right? When you're just first learning how to bowl, um, you know, having those guardrails on the side, it, it helps prevent um, you losing your shirt, basically, if you can yeah. cap, cap the downside risk. If you're looking for insurance coverage for your rental properties, the company that I trust is Ross Diversified Insurance Services, a national insurance agency that has been providing insurance coverage for real estate investors for over 30 years. Whether it's a rental or a fix and flip, Ross provides you coverage through A-rated insurance carriers to provide you with competitive rates as one size does not fit all. Check out biggercashflow.com RDIS to get your free quote today. When you're purchasing your first property or the next, you want to work with an experienced lender who's got your best interest in mind. Sean Huss at Chemical Bank has been a professional in the mortgage industry for over 25 years and has helped hundreds of investors like you and me grow their rental portfolio. With expertise in areas such as real estate sales, title and escrow, and the mortgage closing process, Sean is able to provide 
comprehensive counsel to guide you throughout this often complicated process. Check out biggercashflow.com slash chemical bank to get pre-qualified for free when you mention the Bigger Cashflow podcast. I'm still trying to kind of picture this in my mind as I follow through along with you, uh, because I'm very new to learning about this and I'm very excited. Well, can you give me like an example of a trade maybe that you've done recently or in the past where I can kind of follow the numbers and it could be a real company, it could be a fake company? Sure, sure, sure. So we'll just do like an example of trade. So let's say a stock is trading at $100. You could buy shares of that stock at $100. And so if the stock goes all the way down to zero, you participated in that entire move to zero, right? So that's the default that most people get into, right? The default that most people assume is that there's only one way to skin this cat, which is buy stocks at a low price, hopefully pray to whoever you pray to, right? That you sell them at a high price. But my alternative would be something like, and this is just one strategy, they're not necessarily a strategy I would always deploy, but it's just an example of it. But you would buy a call option and a call option does nothing more than give you the right to buy stock at a certain price in the future, right? But now that's a right that you've purchased. So you outlay a little bit of capital now in order to get the right to buy stock at a certain price in the future, but that doesn't mean you have to do it. You don't have to exercise your option contract. You have the choice to do it or not. So clearly you'd only do it when it's financially in your benefit to do that. So let's say you buy a 105 call option, 105 strike, which is what the strike price. That's the price at which you can buy stock in the future. And this contract expires at the end of the year. So you basically got a couple months to let this stock go higher than 105, essentially. And if it does go higher than 105, you're more than willing to buy it at 105. So if the stock goes up from 100 to 120, yeah, you exercise your contract, you buy stock at 105, you sell it for 120, you make your money. But if the stock goes down, you don't have to buy it at 105. You don't have to do anything. You just let your contract expire, right? Now, the thing that we didn't talk about here is that obviously there's an option premium for that, right? You have to pay to get this right. The rights aren't free, right? So you have to pay to get this right. And that cost might be, you know, whatever it is for the time and the value of that stock and the volatility in the stock, say it's like a hundred bucks. So you pay a hundred bucks maybe to get that right, but maybe you don't lose so much money if you buy 100 shares at $100 and the stock goes down, right? So that would be a simple example of just how an option contract can transfer the risk from one party to another, right? In your case, as an option buyer, you're willing to outlay a little bit of capital now in order to have the right to buy stock in the future. And you've also protected yourself such that if the stock were to go down, you don't have to participate in all the downward movement, right? So you can choose to forego all that, not participate in any of that. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's one way you can do it. You can also start to combine some of these things together and you can buy a call option at one strike and then you can sell another call option at a different strike and use those proceeds to offset the cost of one of these. Again, it's just like a wholesale deal, right? You could buy a piece of land and split and subdivide one parcel off to finance the cost of the land that you purchased, right? It's the very same mechanics as real estate, just applied to a different market. Got it. Now I'm loving this already because I, I can see how there is the math portion of it. Now there's probably a lot that I don't know, right? And 
you know, you don't know what you don't know, literally. So what are some different ways that investors make mistakes when they're first starting out? Um, do you see any common trends uh, when investors yeah. are first starting out? Well, one, they just don't even run the numbers, right? Like, and I would say a lot of this is related to real estate, right? So you don't even run the numbers. And when I say run the numbers on my side, what's cool about options trading and just the markets in general around options is that most of the heavy lifting and number crunching is done for you. So you know the probability generally of a stock moving to certain prices by certain dates in the future. We can make those calculations. They're all done by brokers and models anyway, right? So if I look at a stock and it's trading at 100, I can look and see what the probability is that it'll be at 105 in the next 30 days, in the next 60 days, in the next 90 days. And I can make some judgment calls as to saying, you know, do I expect that to be true or do I like those probabilities? And now I can figure out what my probability of success or not is on a trade and how much I might win or lose. So I can now back into more of an expected outcome type model. And the same would be true in real estate, right? You, you run the numbers, you actually see what the return, you know, the taxes are. You actually ask for the utility bills to see what the real utility bills are because I I know I've seen properties where they're like, you know, the utilities are 200 a month and I see the bills and they're like 500 a month, right? Mm -hmm. So you just actually do the due diligence on your positions, uh, which I don't think a lot of people do. The second thing that I don't think a lot of people do is I don't think they really appreciate the risk associated with leverage. Um, I think that I would see this very much the same way in real estate. I've seen this time and time again, where people just lever up and they just like do this compound and carry trade of all their, you know, real estate portfolios that they have. They buy a property, they do a cash out, then they do another property, another cash out, another property, another cash out. They never pay down anything, never hold cash in reserves. Like it's bound to fall apart at some point, right? Because one missed month or one, you know, COVID pandemic where you can't have evictions or whatever, because I know that's happening, that could cause a cascading event across the whole portfolio. The same thing happens in options trading. People get lucky with a couple trades and then they just compound their, their leverage just to such an exorbitant amount that one bad trade or a series of bad trades, which are bound to happen, can just topple and dominate the rest of the portfolio. So, you know, I think those are the two main things that I, I see people. It's just not even just trying to do the work, right? Like trying to do the math and the calculations or just even understanding it. And then two, just being totally reckless with leverage, right? If you have a 50-50 shot of doing something and either winning 50% or losing 50%, clearly you shouldn't bet 50% of your capital in that, you know, like you've got a one in two chance of blowing up just right away. So I think it's just understanding the basics around that. And, um, and that's all investing anyway. So, Gotcha. So when it comes to setting up a strategy um, and, and we can t kind of talk more about the different kind of methods of education, but w what is kind of your goal. So like for me, as an example, if I buy a rental property, um, just to keep it simple, after all expenses are paid, if I'm utilizing a Burr refinance strategy and getting my money out, I want at least $100 of cash flow net per door after all it's reserves. And <laughs> exactly, right? Um, but you know, in the beginning, I na naively thought, hey, I'm actually keeping like four or $500 a month per door. I'm making a ton of cash flow. And over time, as I've done this for a couple of years, I've come to realize, hey, it, it is time to pay the man and replace that roof or that HVAC and things yeah, like that, yeah, right? Yeah. So as it relates to options, what are some targets, if any, that investors are looking to hit? What are you trying to hit? Like, what is a good calculation on a re return on investment and a return on time, right? 
Yeah. So I think it depends on obviously the person, right? Because like what you like is you like a lot of rental property, potentially some other person might be okay only doing flips, mm-hmm. right? So they're willing to do bigger investments, bigger payout, um, non-consecutive returns, right? So they might do one flip one year and three the next year and five the next year, right? So that's a difference. I think that difference holds true in options trading as well. There are strategies that are more conservative, consistent, a little bit more stable, definitely my cup of tea, right? But there are strategies that still work, but have non-consistent consistent streams of cash flow where you could go 28 months of nothing and then hit a grand slam, right? But you just have to be willing to do that. I think what it all comes down to, and this is why I think real estate options, all the finance is so fascinating to me, is that it all comes down to a calculation of expected value, right? So like the value, the expected value that you just described was an expected value of $100 a month. After all expenses, after all rent, after everything, your positive net positive payout is $100 a month. That needs to be true in options trading for any strategy you run. So the expected payout could be, you know, 20% per year, 15% per year, 10% per year. It could be whatever you want, but that expected payout has to be true, right? So you have to find a strategy that has a positive expected payout, which is admittedly hard to do in most cases, but you also have to back into like, what does that look like over the course of a year, right? So like in your case for real estate, if you know your expected payout is $100 a month, but these are easy you know, rental properties that kind of manage themselves, tenants are on a reoccurring payment schedule, you know, auto draft, whatever, your, time, like your lifestyle is not going to be dramatically, you know, dramatically bad or good for this property, right? But you got to do the same thing for options trading. If you look at something and the expected payout is amazing, but you might go through 24 months of absolute losers before you get there, well, you should probably ask yourself, am I willing to do that? Because most people are not, right? Most people go through two months and they're like, ah, forget this. I'm not, you know, I'm out. So I think it's a combination of figuring out what that expected payout is. I think it's, it's been proven many, many times that, you know, you can definitely do better than the market with a simple strategy, like a covered call strategy, which takes less than an hour. I, I would even say now we can do it automated because you can use option alpha and do it automated. That strategy has been proven everywhere, not just at option alpha, to not only improve returns, reduce drawdowns, reduce volatility in the portfolio. And it literally takes a fraction of a second to do if you were to do it manually. Now you can do it completely automated. Like, why not? Like, why shouldn't you do that, right? Um, so I think it's a worthy, does that make sense? Yep, no, totally. I love how you keep going back and forth with the real estate because for me, that's how I connect the dots and it's perfect. Yeah. So yeah. talking about real estate, there's different ways that we can make money, right? Whether it be- Ooh, uh, I'm so excited you started talking about this again because you started talking about this before and I was like, this is such a good topic. All right, keep going. <laughs> so, you know, it could be cash flow, it could be appreciation, pay down your mortgage, tax benefits or depreciation and, and leverage, which you mentioned. So we know that the leverage piece is there with options. What other ways do investors benefit from using an options strategy? Yeah, this is a great question. So glad that you came back to this because I wanted to circle back on this because you said something about it before and it's kind of like piqued my interest in saying something. But, you know, like you said, with real estate, there's so many things that you can do with a property, right? Like I myself have been in a situation where We've tried to flip a property, like it took too long. And then the property ended up trying to go on the market in the middle of winter, which in Pennsylvania is like a no-go. So then we 
you know, kind of shifted gears a little bit and we rented the property out. Then we got a really great tenant. We're like, okay, let's keep renting the property out. Then we did a cash out refinance because we knew we were going to rent it for a little bit. Now it's back on the market to sell. So you can take a piece of real estate and through all of these different strategies, reposition the property in completely different directions, right? First flip, now rental, now cash out, now back to sale, right? And it's all the same property. The beautiful thing about options is you can do the same thing with strategies. You can start with a covered call and then convert that into something else. So you could have a credit spread that converts into an iron condor that gets rolled into a different contract month and you readjust the position and now it profits a completely different direction. So the beautiful thing about options is that you can physically reposition the portfolio at the snap of a finger, right? The market moves down and everything changes. You can reposition everything in a couple of clicks of your mouse, right? That is, I think, the beauty of options trading is not just, you know, because everyone comes and they're like, what's the unicorn strategy? And <laughs> as, a, as a real estate investor, if I asked a real real estate investor that, they'd be like, there is no unicorn strategy. Every property might be completely different, right? You might have to do something a little bit different on every property. And the same thing is true with options. You might start with one strategy, like a, an iron condor, which is a neutral, very wide market just moves in a range. You collect a nice little you know, premium for the month. And then the market moves wildly and you have to reposition that strategy to something else. And you can do that. And I think that's one of the coolest things about trading is having that ability to quickly reposition. Um, and why I like trading much more so, no offense than real estate, repositioning in real estate takes time repositioning and options trading can happen in an instant. I can be completely out of an entire market in a couple of clicks of a mouse, right? In real estate, I can't do that. So much more pigeonhole. <laughs> yeah. I mean, definitely with stocks, I've had invested in my 401k. I still have, you know, some money in my 401k, but there was a time where I decided to liquidate some of it to buy some rental properties. And it was just so nice to be able to with a few clicks of a button liquidate my shares and now i have you know in two to three business days some cash that i can actually invest in real estate i know i can't do that with real estate so yeah well to use the more of a like direct example but let's say you have a, a you know a couple hundred shares of stock and some company that you like you could sell a covered call which is just pre-selling the shares at a higher price by doing that now you're the option seller not the option buyer so to use our example and then flip it completely around. Now we collect money from somebody else, but we have to pre-sell our shares if the stock continues to go higher. Well, I can choose to keep that money and just collect an income essentially, renting, a lot of people say like renting out your shares to somebody else. That's really attractive. That's a very popular, very efficient strategy. I could also use some of that capital to buy insurance in case the stock crashes, right? So this is referred to as a call strategy, but you sell a call option, use those proceeds to buy insurance. It would be no different than if you had a property, again, vacant, you rent it out, use that rent, buy insurance on the property in case the you know, rental you know, people like trash it or whatever burns down. It's the same concept. So you can replace and reallocate money with different option strategies, like a collar, iron condor, you know, covered call, whatever. Same thing can be done in real estate using different strategies. Oh man, now I'm in trouble because you, you, <laughs> you've piqued my interest so much. I, you know, when I first started, I had definitely the shiny penny syndrome. I was like, I don't know what real estate strategy I'm going to do. Um, and, and I've gotten focused on buy and hold and I do some fix and flips on the side. 
but now I'm super interested <laughs> in options. So the, the big question is for our listeners listening as well, how can somebody get started in this realm? Um, you know, is it watching YouTube videos, listening to your podcast, reading books? What's the best way to do it? I mean, well, I think that, I mean, look, my wife's a linguist and a teacher, right? So when I came to her a long time ago and I was like, how do I put all this stuff together? Her answer to me was everybody learns different, right? So people listen to this podcast, you clearly learn listening to podcasts, your auditory, like that's how you, you know, that's one of the ways you learn. So what we try to do at Option Alpha is we give away all of our training for free, all of our courses for free. You can read them in all of our PDFs. It's basically the same stuff as we talk through in our courses and webinars, but it's just a way to read it versus watch it. We go through on the podcast, almost the exact same stuff and interview people and new content and case studies, but it's the same concepts that we teach in our courses, but you can listen to it versus watch it. But everything's free. You can do the courses for free, the books for free, the tracks, like the podcast, it's all for free. I think you have to start there. I think you have to start with education. Um, it's always been a big one for me. Like if people understand what the differences are and they don't have to pay money to make that some, you know, make that, you know, classification, that difference, then I think they, they are much better served. Even if you never use options, it'd be just great to understand what it is. So as a real estate investor, even if you never had to do like a lease option or you never had to assign a contract, wouldn't it be a good idea to understand what it was? So that one situation where you needed to assign the contract and wholesale it to somebody else, you had the chops and the skills to do it, or at least you knew enough to be dangerous to do it, right? I think that that's where people get, you know, it's not like you have to do everything that I do in options trading. You don't have to, but you could at least get some really cool ideas. Maybe it might've saved some of your positions in March this year when the market crashed, right? Like that could have been helpful, right? Maybe if you didn't take a 30% drawdown, you took a 10% drawdown. That obviously allows you to recover much quicker. So um, I think that that's where people start. You got to start with education. You have to start with training and coaching and, you know, all that stuff. And, and we just give it away for free. Um, what we do at Option Alpha. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. I will have all that information for the show notes for this episode. So if you guys are driving, you know, don't write down, write this down. Don't pull over. I will, yeah. Don't pull over. I will have this on the show notes. So as we look to wrap up this episode, I'm going to have to definitely check out your podcast and your website to check out those uh, free courses. Is there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners about options, anything that we haven't covered today that might be beneficial? Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. I think the, the biggest thing that we're doing right now and is such a cool thing is we're launching a brand new auto trading platform. And what's been a really tough part about the options trading industry for forever, for basically the better part of 30 years, is that everything you do in options trading has to be done manually, right? So we can talk about these strategies, we can talk through the math, we can talk through the logic, but 95% of everybody's trading strategy has always been their ability to log in every day, to look through everything, make the calculations, do all the decisions. And so we basically spent five years and millions of dollars. And I can say that millions of dollars because that was the choice that I had to make. It's like, well, we could either save this money or we could invest it in this new platform. And, um, and I'm glad we did because it, it's amazing. But we built an auto trading platform. It's no code. You can auto trade stocks or options. You can build your own strategies right inside of our user interface, create templates, clone them, share them, share entire strategies with other people. Um, it's truly going to be the next evolution. And we partnered with some of the biggest brokers in the industry to do it. So we're super excited about it. And, uh, and it's going to be rolling out in the next couple of weeks. That's awesome. All right. We'll be on the lookout for that and uh, 
subscribe to maybe is there a mailing list where our listeners can make sure to keep tabs on when that rolls yeah, out? Yeah, yeah, you can uh, go to beta.optionalpha.com and get on the wait list and then just refer your friends to get better access. We're also giving away a Tesla, the person who refers to the most people, which is kind of fun. So never ridden in a Tesla, but apparently we're giving one away. We talked to our team and they're like, we should give away a Tesla. I'm like, sounds good. I've never, never been in one, but I, I look forward to driving it to somebody's house at some point. So <laughs> that is awesome. Well, I'll have all that and more uh, for the show notes for this episode. If you thought that was helpful, please do me a favor and leave me a review on iTunes. We'll see you right back here next week for another exciting episode of the Bigger Cashflow Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Bigger Cashflow Podcast. Please remember that opinions of the guests are their own and nothing on this show should be considered personal or professional advice. Please consult your tax, legal, or financial advisor for personal advice that fit your unique situation. See you next time.